Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the differences between working out versus training. And I'm also going to be throwing in another topic that I think is really important to understand in in training. And that is why I include resistance training even when a client comes to me for only fat loss. They only want fat loss. That's all they care about. And so why do I have them still do resistance training plus calorie deficit if they don't care about the size of their delts or they don't care about having quote-unquote toned arms or, or a booty or whatever? So why do I find myself morally obligated as a coach to include weight training into their program if all they care about is fat loss? I actually had a client tell me one time, I know this other coach that they don't have to work out at all. She just does nutrition. And I, I don't know as far as this other coach. I can't say one way or another. I'm not here to diminish anybody else's coaching or what they do or what they strive to do with people. But I do know through further education, I cannot morally do that. I just can't. And so, and I'll, I'm going to go into that in a little bit more detail. I think you're going to find it very, very interesting. But let's dive into, is there a difference between working out and training? And if so, what is the difference? I often don't call my uh, lifts in the gym, my workout or working out. I usually refer to it as, as training. And let me explain why. With a very, very basic difference. So the difference between working out. Well, what is working out? Usually people, when they work out, their focus is just they just want to have fun. They just want to move their body. They just want to sweat. Like any movement that makes them burn, that they think is fun, creative, whatever, they tend to focus on like, oh, I burned these many calories. My watch said I burned this many calories. Side note, we need to break up this relationship that we have with our watches because they not, are not as accurate as we think they are. So when people are like, I burned this many calories during my lift or during my running or hit class or whatever, I wish the body was more like what our watches said. I feel like things would be a lot easier to track. But the truth is, the body is far more complicated than what these watches have said. And it is far more individualized than what these watches are telling us. So if you are trying to use your watch to track, you know, calories burned so that you can eat X amount of calories and blah, 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 that is a very poor approach to health and fitness. So these watches are getting better, but they're not where they should be as far as allowing people to accurately track what they're burning or what their total daily energy expenditure is by the end of the day, anything like that. So 
Honestly, I use my watch for lightly tracking sleep. I have a Fitbit. All I do is track my sleep and my steps with it. That's it. I don't need it for anything else because it's not accurate really on anything else. And it's not even fully accurate on sleep, so to say. Like a lot of people want to go 100% off of what their watch says as far as sleep, or maybe their ring says as far as sleep and recovery and all of that. But there's such a mental aspect to this as well, that sometimes if our, we look at our watch, we wake up in the morning, we're feeling great. We look at our watch and it says low recovery. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, well, I can't do much today. Well, I feel like that watch just mentally took you to another place than you really felt that morning. And the reason why that's on my mind is because this morning I woke up so energized, feeling so good. And my watch is telling me, oh, that was a poor night's sleep. Your recovery's low. Don't do much. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I feel great. And it's not just me who feels this way. There are sleep doctors as well at Stanford who have talked about how watches can influence that in a negative light. And so that's just kind of food for thought. But let's get back to working out. The main focus is just kind of like enjoyment in moving. Now, is there anything wrong with working out? No, not at all. Whenever I have this discussion, there's somebody out there who says, oh, you think working out's bad and, and, and that's not true. I didn't say that at all. I'm not even insinuating that. I actually think that people need to find something that they really enjoy doing and thrive doing. People often think that if I don't personally do something, then it, it's because I think it's wrong. So I personally don't participate in aerobic classes. Oh, so you, what, you think aerobic classes are stupid or they're pointless or this? No, I didn't say any of that. I don't believe that at all. I, I just don't personally enjoy them. And so I'm not going to go do them. And then on top of it, they will not lead me to my goal. So I'm, I have limited amount of time. I have goals and I'm going to choose the process that gets me to that goal. So here's the thing. This is what people do wrong is they go to these aerobic classes and they look up at the instructor and let's say the instructor has incredible delts or an incredible booty or whatever, fill in the blank of whatever body part is especially cool to you. And, and they look so good and you think, oh, they teach these classes. That means if I do these classes, I will look like them. That's not true at all. So let's break this down. What if that person, that aerobic instructor that you're holding up on a pedestal of what you want to look like, what if they genetically just have these muscles? And all they did was they, they did these body pump classes that maybe gave them a little bit of sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, meaning that maybe it just filled their muscles a little bit with glycogen, water, 
enzymes. And so it kind of made them look a little bit bigger, but they really weren't doing activity that brought that where they went from zero delts to hypertrophy work that gave them those delts. Do you get what I'm saying? So genetically, they had this muscle, they filled it up a little bit and it looks fuller and looks really good. There's nothing wrong with that person. Just note that this is genetic. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually use somebody as an example of this. So she teaches a lot of aerobic classes, does a lot of lightweight, weight, quote unquote, toning, and she has these incredible arms. But do you know what's fascinating? Her daughter, who does none of the, the above, has these amazing arms too. So I study the body. I really love kind of examining these things. And I was looking at kind of these origin and insertion points that her and her mom share as far as delts go. But not only that, they have genetically these incredible, their structure of their triceps are actually quite incredible. And so they have a little bit meatier, like a lateral head, which gives them this gorgeous shape because then they have this rounded delts and then they also have this rounded tricep because that lateral head really kind of how it pokes out and it is beautiful and it is genetic and I wish I had those genetics I was thinking about that as I was looking at this young girl who doesn't go into the weight room and lift weights you know she's not going to these body pump classes and doing it but I'm looking at her and she shares the same genetics as far as her arms go with her mom and I'm like man oh what I could do with those arms like it would be incredible. <laughs> and anyways, so a lot of times you go to these classes and a lot of times people, because they have good genetics, will actually become fitness like influencers on Instagram. They have these incredible genetics. People are coming to them saying, wow, how did you get those arms? And they think, well, yeah, I guess I do this exercise and this exercise. Well, I'll tell you what I do. They actually have no idea how they got those arms. They don't have a clue, but it kind of leads them in to the fitness world. And the problem, I, I have no problems with people becoming coaches who have amazing good genetics or don't know how they got what they got. Now, the issue is when they don't step into constant learning. So they think, my genetics is qualification enough for me to speak on a subject. That's actually not true. And that's what we have to be very mindful of as we are trying to navigate social media and as we're trying to figure out who are we going to follow and who are we going to believe. And a huge one for me is I always tell people, because people will ask me, well, how do I know? So-and-so says this, so-and-so says that. I said, are they a life learner? Follow people who never stop learning. If somebody's always talking about what they're learning, if they're even saying like, hey, I believed this a year ago and I don't believe it now, oh, that's a great sign. That is a great sign that that person doesn't have an ego, that they're humble enough to constantly be learning. And those are the people that you really want to gravitate towards and follow because you know that they're constantly searching for truth enough to be able to say, hey guys, a year ago I said this, I was wrong. And now I'm saying this because I furthered my education. So genetics are wonderful, but 
if if somebody is relying on good genetics as a qualification for being a coach, I I disagree with that. Another thing that I see, sorry, this is a little tangent I'm going off on, but another thing I often see is somebody does one fitness show and then all of a sudden, because they got super lean and looked good on stage, all of a sudden they feel like they're qualified to tell everybody else how to get there. But the truth is they didn't even get there. They did put in the hard work, but their coach was the one who was telling them what to do. And have they earned the right to be able to turn around and teach anybody else through furthering their education? Or did they feel like one experience was good enough? I'm always very excited for people to step into coaching because I think it's, I think everybody's going to bring a different perspective that is going to resonate with somebody. And the more people we can help, the better, right? So I believe as coaches, we should be supporting one another. But I'm not always thrilled by people who rely too heavily on like, I did one show, now I can tell everybody how to get here. So find the life learners and those are the ones that you're going to want to follow. Okay, tangent aside. So let's get back to the differences between working out and training. So working out, I just barely described, it's really just moving your body in fun ways that you feel like you can maybe push yourself, challenge yourself, whatever. You don't, there's, it's just whatever you want to do. You walk into the gym, whatever your heart tells you to do that day, you do it. Great. Training is different. So as soon as you say something like, I really want to build my delts. I really want toned arms. I really want to build my glutes. I really want to deadlift X amount. I really want, as soon as it gets more specific like that, you have to leave the world of working out and you have to step into the world of training. So this is like a basketball player who they really want to go to the NBA, let's just say, or they just really want to excel at this sport of basketball. So this is like them going in to a soccer field and say, well, here's a ball. And I'm just going to kick it around because it's a ball and basketball is ball. It's both a ball. So if I kick around this ball, then I'll get really good at basketball. No, no, you won't. I mean, obviously, when I say that out loud, it's like, well, that's stupid. Obviously, they're not. Okay, I agree. It is. Do you know how many people walk into the gym with zero plan, only going in, oh, I'll try this, I'll do this, I'll do that. And every time it's something different, oh, I'll go to this class. I'll do... And then they sit there and moan and complain because... Well, my, my delts aren't getting bigger. My arms aren't getting toned. My glutes aren't growing. But it's because you're working out. It's because you want to be this basketball player who's awesome, but you're going to a soccer field every day. And you think that just because you have a, there's a ball for both sports that you're going to become good. Don't you get what I'm saying here? You go to your body pump classes. I lift quote unquote weights. And then you look at somebody on Instagram. You're like, well, why don't I look like them? They lift weights. I lift weights. No, no, you do not lift weights the same. Just because it's a ball doesn't mean that kicking around the soccer ball is going to get you good at basketball. So how you lift the weights 
changes everything. Does that make sense? It changes everything. So you have more specific goals. You leave the world of working out and you step into training. Training is very different. Training is I go into the gym with a set plan. And this plan doesn't change week by week. You go in with a set plan and you follow this plan for four to six weeks and you progress within the plan. So let's say, okay, awesome. I really want to build my glutes. I have a glute specific plan or a full body plan. I really just want to build muscle all over. I really want to look fit and strong. Awesome. You have the set plan. You follow it the first week. Awesome. Next week you go in and you change everything. No, you don't change everything. You, you have the same exact plan. Maybe there are some simple progressions like add a few sets here, add intensity here, pause for one count in this really tough spot here. Maybe there are slight progressions like that. But for the most part, the plan is the same. And you go in and you try to work a little bit harder. That's the difference. You, progressive overload is what they call it. We're overloading the body a little bit more than we did last week. That's like the simplest way to, to put that. You're working a little bit harder this week than you did last week. And so that's what training is. Now, let me touch on this topic for a minute because people are like, well, as long as I'm doing a, let's say they really want to increase their, their squat. They really want to perform well on a squat or on a hack squat or something like that. And they say, well, no, 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 Lindsay, it doesn't need to be the same program. It can be totally different the next week. But as long as I'm doing a squat sometime next week, isn't that all that matters? And I'm tracking the squat. Well, this is another level of how fine-tuned do we want to go? How, how much optimization do we want to have? Because think about this. Let's say you walk into the gym, you don't have a set plan, but you do know that there are certain exercises that you do want to track and you do want to progress and strengthen. And one of them is your squat. Let's just use that as an example. So you walk in, you're going to do squat, but all of the squat racks are taken. So you decide, you know, I'm just going to start with a leg extension. Okay, so you start with a leg extension and then maybe you do a, a hip thrust and then you go and you're like, okay, I'm going to do a squat now and you do the squat. Well, you're like, wait, why can't I progress in weight or why do I feel weaker this week? than I did last week. When last week I walked in and I went straight to the squat rack and I squatted. Why do I feel weaker now? Why is my squat not progressing? Because the exercises you do before it are going to influence your squat. So a squat, which is like lower body emphasis, and depending on how you squat, can be more or less quad, can be more or less glutes. It will never be a hamstring emphasis, just so you know. Because as you descend down and you're getting hip flexion and knee flexion, the hamstrings are actually staying at relatively the same ratio. So although they're great at stabilizing, they're not going through full contractions. It's not going to be a hamstring emphasis. I don't care who told you that's not going to be. So anyways, 
So as you go in and you're doing these movements and you're like, how come I'm not progressing? How come I'm not feeling as strong as I did last week? Well, it's because you started with a a leg extension. So you've pre-exhausted in the short position for your quads. And then you did a hip thrust, pre-exhausted with a, with a, you know, a glute exercise that's relatively short position as well. And now you're going to, now you're going to do a squat. So do you see how your muscles for the squat are slightly pre-exhausted by these other exercises that you chose to do before? Now, don't get me wrong. It's completely fine to do those other exercises before, but notice how it's going to affect the squat. So that's why I'm saying when we optimize things, we actually do want to have the same exact plan and try to do it as best as we can in relatively the same order too, because the exercises you do before are going to affect and influence the exercises you do after. So there's once again, nothing wrong with pre-exhausting. In fact, that can cause more mechanical damage and it can be a great hypertrophy tool. It doesn't mean we always do that, but it can be a great hypertrophy tool. But I'm just saying this is why there's merit in walking into the gym with the same plan and trying to do the exercises in the same order. Because now you're testing your strength pre-exhausted and the next week when you go in and test your strength and try to push it up a, a little bit or try to increase the intensity, it will be with the same pre-exhaust of the leg extension and glute bridge. Is this making sense? So that's why when people are like, well, as long as I just do it sometime the next week, that's good. Well, I think it's suboptimal because you're not comparing from week to week, apples to apples, you're comparing them apples to oranges. So if you want to refine things, then great, refine things. So that's why I walk in with the same plan over a four to six week period. I try as best as I can to do it in the same order for the reason I just explained, but sometimes that, that can't happen. So in those cases where it can't, I keep that in mind. And then after the four to six weeks, you can do a deload or you can move into a different type of training stimulus if you know that much about training programs. Most people don't. So I would suggest in their, in their case to do a deload, which is you can do a few things. You can just not lift for a week. You can cut your volume down in half. You can go in and work on accessory work. There are so many things. Just pretty much pull back your efforts. Let your body really focus on recovery. Now, if you do my training program on my app, I either include deloads or what I usually do is I switch to a totally different training method. And that way we can allow like, for example, hypertrophy work to kind of deload and we step into metabolic work. So we're still actually able to work really hard and we don't feel like we're kind of having lazy weeks because sometimes when we do deloads, people are like, oh, I just feel lazy this week. And so that's what I do in my training app. I usually move from training stimulus to a different type of training stimulus, allow that stimulus we were just in to kind of relax while we step into another one. So that's a more optimized uh, approach. And it does require a lot more understanding of training stimulus. And that's usually what I do and I provide in my training app. So I spent so many years working out, guys. I, I speak from experience. 
I was the girl who would go to the classes and be like, I've been doing this for like eight months. Why don't I look like her? I'm trying to, you know, be good with foods. I'm, I'm trying to do these classes. Why don't I look like her? Because the class that I chose, this body pump class, it, it wasn't going to give me the same stimulus as strictly hypertrophy would, which hypertrophy is what aligned better with my goals. So I didn't understand a lot of this. I was very frustrated because I grew up in a home where, so my dad was married, had three kids. My mom was married, had seven, and they got married and had me. And I'm literally the only genetic mix between the two. But I, I didn't understand all of that. I grew up looking at my sisters who just had very athletic bodies. And I was just like, how come I don't look like them? And I was always so frustrated. I thought if I did all the stuff they did, that I would look fit too. But I just didn't have the same muscle size as them. And so it wasn't until I really learned about the difference between working out and training that I felt like I could finally achieve my goals, which I have and I'm very, very excited about. So I'm now going to jump over to the other question that I brought up about what if somebody's goal is just to drop body fat? Why don't I just, as a coach, why don't I just put them into a calorie deficit? Why do I still stick so firmly to know it's still wise? And frankly, moral for me, knowing what I know, to have them lift weights. So there's a few reasons. One, when they reverse, so we go into a calorie deficit, they lose weight. When we reverse, I want them to eat, be able to eat more. And building muscle, although it may only increase it 50 to 100 calories, they still will be able to eat a little bit more. But not only that, like lifting weights is going to really help with their blood pressure. As you age, you start losing muscle tissue, and that actually will cause a lot more quicker aging. And so you won't be able to stay strong and healthy for as long. So we just really want to maintain or build a little muscle. Aside from the, the amazing benefits, and in my opinion, it truly is the fountain of youth that weightlifting has. Aside from that, let me just share one other nugget. When people do calorie deficits, 80% of them go back to their lifestyle they had before the calorie deficit. So 80% of them, they lose the weight and then they go right back to old lifestyles and they put all the weight back on. There is a portion of this that's misunderstood and hasn't and I personally believe that it's not talked about as much as it should be. And that is when you go into a calorie deficit and you do not incorporate weightlifting, you are going to lose muscle mass. So if you get into a calorie deficit without any weightlifting and you lose 20 to 30 pounds, and along with that 20 to 30 pounds, it's not just purely fat. It will be in muscle tissue. 
And then 80% of these people regain the weight. Think about that. They don't regain the muscle because they weren't lifting weights. They regain the body fat. So they get into a calorie deficit, they lose muscle tissue, they lose body fat, and then they put all of it back on, but it's all 100% body fat. Their yo-yo dieting will actually continue to put them in a worse and worse and worse physical state. Isn't that fascinating? And that is why I use the term, it's a moral obligation for me as a coach to make sure that I not only put people into a calorie deficit, but that I'm putting them on a weightlifting schedule of some type so that they can maintain muscle mass. So if after they leave me, they choose because they have their free will, they choose to go right back. They choose to ignore everything we worked on, the habits, the lifestyle, creating this and this. And they choose to forget it all and go right back to their old ways. And they put the weight back on. They're okay. They're not in a worse position. In fact, they might still have a little bit of an advantage because I taught them weightlifting and they keep doing it. So they put the weight back on, but they don't put they don't put it all back on in body fat. They've been able to build a little muscle, maintain that. So they put the weight back on and they're still in even a somewhat better advantageous spot. Does that make sense? Everybody who gets in a calorie deficit should be doing some type of resistance training to maintain what they have. Because if they go right back with foods to their old lifestyle, at least, at least we're not putting them in a worse position. I don't believe that coaches that only put calorie deficits on people and they don't put them into a some type or encourage some type of weightlifting activity. I don't believe that they're bad people. I believe that they're uneducated. And I believe I have a moral obligation to help people always stay in the best position they can be. So even if they go back to their old foods, at least they're sticking with some type of training. So they're not losing the muscle and putting on more body fat. And typically, even if they go back, they'll at least keep the weightlifting routine and they can still get some help and cellular health benefits from the weightlifting itself. I truly believe in this. The more I coach people, the more I'm realizing we need to be doing more than handing somebody macro like numbers. And, and there are, I, and there's so much education. So hopefully all of that makes sense. So hopefully this podcast today has been able to help you guys out. Hopefully you've been able to glean a few nuggets of knowledge that you can implement into your own life in a healthy and mindful way. And hopefully you've been empowered with a little bit more education to understand maybe why you're not hitting the goals that you have. Maybe you go into the gym every day and you're doing something different 
and you're just kind of going off of emotion, emotional weightlifting versus science-based, smart training weightlifting. Because believe you me, they do lead towards different end results, okay? If you really like where your muscle's at right now and you don't care about building, quote unquote, anymore, that's totally fine. Go in, lift however your heart desires. And if there comes a period where it's like, well, I like my muscle, but I would like to lose body fat, well, then keep up the weightlifting that you're doing, the working out, and make sure that your nutrition is aligned and that you're in a calorie deficit so that you can now pull back on that body fat and see that beautiful muscle that may be hiding under that that cozy layer of body fat. You know, it's interesting in this one other tangent really fast. It's interesting in fitness how people talk bad about body fat so much. But can I just tell you my personal opinion? Body fat can be a very beautiful addition to a woman's physique. So do not get caught up in the less body fat is better um, world that people are trying to sell you. In fact, a lot of women will put on muscle and maintain the same body fat and they love how feminine it actually makes them look. When they drop the body fat too low, it can actually take away a little bit of the feminine look that they enjoy more. So don't get caught up in this world of body fat bad. Actually, body fat can be a beautiful addition to a very femininely fit look that a woman will really enjoy. We'll have a whole other podcast episode on how lean is too lean, how lean can I maintain? I think it's a great question. But don't get caught up in the meantime, guys. Don't get caught up in the less is better. Because for a lot of women, it's not. And that 20% body fat can really give them this beautiful look. Along with adding a little bit more muscle, can really give them the beautiful look that actually they can maintain best, be happiest at, and they'll look fabulous. So hopefully that helps. Thank you for joining me on the Lifting Lindsay podcast today. If you have any questions, shoot me a message on Instagram at Lifting Lindsay. You can also look up liftinglindsay.com and see my training app as well as my coaching options. I only work from my wait list for coaching. So if you are interested in being coached by me, you'll want to get on the wait list. And what happens is when there's an opening, I'll shoot out a text and email from the wait list. And it's first come, first serve. So the first person to hop on and buy the coaching are the ones who are going to get it. You guys have a wonderful week.